My name is Pastor Dave. I'm thankful to open up the word with you. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's been quite a week. Uh, We've been pretty busy here at Faith Church. Lots of excitement, lots of hope. Um, uh, A funeral, as we remember our dear sister, B.J. Culver, the the beauty of the flowers and arrangements here. Um, Thankful for her life. It's amazing, just uh, off the cuff, not part of the sermon, but as a pastor, you enter situations with people, and sometimes you expect you might offer them something, but you leave full, discipled, mentored, and uh, that's how yesterday was. It's good to be a part of you. But one part of being a part of a family is that at times we have to deal with hard issues, times we have to deal with criticism, and that's what Jesus talks about in this passage. I remember in uh, maybe about 10 years ago, Christina and I have been married 11 years now, my father-in-law started taking me out to golf fairly often. I, I had learned to golf a bit as a kid. My papa took me golfing. And so I knew some basics, but I wasn't very good. And my father-in-law noticed quickly that I was not very good. He's a scratch golfer, okay? Yeah, even now, after hip surgery, and he can't swing like he used to, still you know, hits in the high 70s, low 80s, this guy. So he's helping me learn. We're out there on the course. I'm, I'm a young man. He's my father-in-law. I've married into the, the family. And, you know, and he'll, he'll observe something about my swing. That was clearly wrong. When my ball goes off to the right or when I top it, you know, when I'm like, you know. And he comes and he, and he offers merciful help to me that I needed. <laughs> and... So he would do this, and over the course of a few years, I'd learned some things about when to open up my stance and, you know, when to lighten up on my swing, when to hold the club in this way, when to choose this club. Lots of wisdom that I still don't really apply well, but became a little bit better. But it was hard. I just want to be honest. It is not easy in that moment when you've just chunked a terrible shot in golf and your father-in-law comes up to you and shows you, now, now here's how you need to hold the club, right? Okay, thank you, you know? So glad that you could share that right now, you know? And, and it's hard in family context generally. When we know we need help and when we know someone needs help, you know, you should say something because you care about them. You want what's best for them, but how to say it, when to say it. You know, you were just, many of you, around family at Christmas time, and maybe a situation like this came about. And Jesus is talking about a family context. Three times in these verses, he's going to say the word brother. Brother. And the context isn't blood. It's the new family of God. We've, we've learned in this Sermon on the Mount that we've been walking through. We were walking through it last fall, took an Advent break, now we're back. In the Sermon on the Mount that all peoples can come together and look to the one true and living God as Father through Jesus. And so you have people who are, who are there who no doubt have some disagreements, who think they're right, think somebody else needs help, and may have something to say. You have a Simon the Zealot, right? And you have Matthew, the tax collector, who's going to be in the in the cohort of apostles soon, right? You have people coming from the Decapolis, Gentiles, coming to Jesus. 
You have sick people, you have rich, you have poor, you have Jewish, very traditional religious people. You have all sorts of folks coming together and now that's your family and Jesus wants you to treat each other with love. And so we're gonna need help because I'll speak in I terms. I am not good at criticism. I'm not good at it. I'm growing, I hope, but I can be bad at it. Somebody offers me, I remember one time in college, my friend Joel called me out on something. I needed to hear it. It took me about six hours. I, I, I blew it off. I gave some kind of Christian, you know, dismissive comment. And then six hours later, I, it finally hit me, you know? And I called him, I'm, Joel, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? I don't know if that's you. We're no good at criticism. In, in our fallenness and in our folly, we can be quick to criticize others when we have the very same exact thing going on. And we'll ignore it. Sometimes not even be aware of it because we become so focused on others and their failings. And then in our naivety, we can try to help people when it's not a good idea, you know? The wrong time, the wrong way. Or maybe it's just not accounting for the person, you know, and where they're at. And so we can offer help that isn't help at all. But I do want you to notice, as, as we talk about the help Jesus is trying to offer us for wisdom with our words of criticism, he's not talking about speaking words of criticism to other than Christian people. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is not talking in this context about criticizing other than disciples of the Lord Jesus. We waste a lot of our time and breath criticizing people for not following Christ who don't believe in Jesus. And so Jesus would just help us and say, just, just stop. But in this context, how might we speak to help brothers and sisters in Christ overcome sin because we love one another because we want what's best and occasionally we'll see things in one another you'll see things in me and i'll need to hear it how do we help one another here's what we do we seek christ's wisdom for words of redemptive criticism we seek christ's wisdom for words of redemptive criticism let's pray and then we'll dig into this together father please help us lord only your word and spirit is sufficient to speak to us where we need to, to hear you. Right down in our depths where we would have defenses. We don't want anyone to speak there, but we need you to speak there today, Lord. And so we pray that you, our wise Savior and King, Lord, that you would speak to us now for your glory. Meet us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we would help our neighbors... You can go to the next slide. If we would help our neighbors and we would offer criticism, that would be a blessing to them, our brothers and sisters in Christ. The first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to start with self-criticism. Wise criticism starts with self-criticism. But Jesus does have a balancing proverb here. It's not only self-criticism. Chapter 7, verse 6 talks about accounting for the person you're talking to. Audience analysis, 
thinking of the person you're speaking to. So think of yourself, think of the other. If you would offer wise criticism that would help your brother. Jesus is, is taking a turn here, you'll notice in this sermon. The disciples, Matthew, who's written this down in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records this sermon, this occasion where Jesus was speaking. It's probably not every word. He probably doesn't include everything that he said that day, but he includes these things. And we notice there's kind of an abrupt change from chapter 6 to 7 in style. So uh, th that's just part of how, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, it's recorded for us. But, but that change, if we were to describe it, it's, it's from being something of a, a, a rabbi teaching to a wisdom sage teaching. Someone who's offering instruction to people, stories, instruction from the Torah, from the law of God, reflecting on God's word and applying it to today, to now looking at the world as it is and helping us to live wisely within it, God's world. There's, a, there's an ancient tradition of this within Jesus's people, right? We have it in the Old Testament. You have the Proverbs of Solomon. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 42, he says something greater than Solomon is here. He is speaking as someone even wiser. And he can speak in that vein. And so these aren't just disjointed sayings. This is Jesus speaking as the wisdom sage, helping us to live in God's world as his people. Uh, I would just acknowledge with you for a moment, I don't think wisdom is a, uh, a cultural buzzword. It's not something that TikTok influencers are pursuing for the most part, right? To be speaking like a wisdom sage. So it may not be the thing that we're readily um, able to hear well, but it would do us some good, I think. So let's hear what Jesus has to say, our wisdom sage, as he teaches us wisdom, skill, and the art of godliness. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Many of our neighbors know this verse. Many of you know this verse. What does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, some Christian interpreters have interpreted these words to mean only do not sit in the seat of God, the final judge of our lives. Don't say who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. Don't say who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. Some people would exclude it to just that. I think that they're right. <laughs> it's certainly that. And you can get that from other passages too. But Jesus speaking as a wisdom sage actually has much more practical concerns, much more immediate concerns that he's speaking to here. He's speaking more about our critical spirit. R.T. France, New Testament commentator, wrote, Here the emphasis is on criticism of other people's failings. What is forbidden here is the sort of fault-finding mentality and speech which is likely to rebound against the one who exercises it. Eugene Peterson uh, put it like this in the message, which I appreciated. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. And that's what it says in the next verse, isn't it? Chapter 7, verse 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's describing the way life and reality actually is. If you go around judging what's going to happen, it's going to come right back at you, right? This is just a fact of life. He wants to make you wise in his wor world. And so he asks you some questions. 
Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Notice it's your brother. It's your brother. You care for him, right? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? The word for log there is something like a timber beam. I don't know, in, in my house, growing up, we lived in an old house that my dad inherited in his family. And in the basement, there was a huge timber beam that was part of what held up the house. This is connecting to the foundation. This is, so, so the image, it's not just like a log by the fire, a little, little tree branch. The, the image is supposed to look ridiculous. A huge timber beam, you know? And you don't even see it. Because you're so focused on what you think other people's problems are. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says, first, first. There's only a number of times in Matthew where Jesus says first and then a commandment. You should go look. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It, it, it's kind of like this. Just imagine, you know, you know, there's this guy and he's walking around. And, and he's like, Jeff, you look ridiculous. That little, I see a speck in there. I can't believe it. How, how do you live with yourself? You know, golly, people, goodness gracious. And look over here, all you sorry people, goodness Something's wrong with you. You look terrible. You know? This is, this is what he's talking about. It's a caricature. It's completely ridiculous. If you've been reading Matthew up to this point, I hope you would take Jesus seriously. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the, the king, the promised Messiah. He's the fulfillment of Israel's calling. Pure righteousness and truth. He's the new Moses, the one who came to teach and to fulfill the law. He's God with us. But very practically, if, if you don't take Christ's wisdom seriously in this passage, folks, you need to realize you will look ridiculous. And the church, sadly, has looked ridiculous. Religious people have looked ridiculous. It, it goes all the way back to the Bible. Paul talked about it in Romans 2. His religious neighbors who would lord the law over their neighbors, and yet... They wouldn't fulfill it themselves. And he would write in verse 24 of Romans 2, it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You make God look bad. You make Christ look bad. You look ridiculous. So Lord, help us. Look to Jesus. Take seriously what he has to say. Also, you'll hurt somebody if, if you're swinging around a timber beam, you know, from your eye. You're going to hurt people. This is what the Pharisees did. The other place in Matthew's gospel where he, has, he says first and then a command implying repentance is to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. They clean the outside of the dish. Jesus says first clean the inside of the dish, guys. Come on. And he says further, if, if, if you'll go to that next slide. He says further in Matthew 23 of, of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who don't lift a finger to help others and it hurts them. There's a, a, a poll there. We can go back to that really quick. 
Uh, it is helpful just to bring this to bear today. We want to reach our neighbors. There is a perception. We can just acknowledge it. There's a perception, particularly of evangelical Christians, which we are, that we are judgmental. Uh, in this LifeWay research poll from a few years back, this is pre-COVID, it's 2019, but among young adults aged 23 to 30 who attended a Protestant church regularly for at least a year in high school, those who left, which is a big chunk, said that church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. This is a big reason, whether true or just perceived, it's real. Something we have to overcome and look to Christ to show something different. The Pharisees were not showing something different. That's that next slide. And Jesus would say to the crowds and the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to move them with their finger. Woe to you, Jesus says. Jesus will open his mouth to speak to fools on occasion because people need to be defended sometimes from fools. And so he did here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus calls us to take him seriously and his wisdom seriously because we'll look ridiculous. But if we do take the log out, if we do attend to that log first, if we do some self-analysis and repentance, we call it turning to Jesus, something will happen First of all, something will grow in us, take root in us, that is the foundation of what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We will grow in poverty in spirit, humility, recognizing that there's nothing in us that makes us worthy of God's love, that nothing in us that makes us better than anyone else in the world. We are sinful, and we bring to the Lord filthy rags, and he gives us Righteous, pure, perfect robes, eternal life, status as sons and daughters when we look to Jesus. We have nothing. Humility grows when we can repent and own our sin. And that actually is a light to the world. Us displaying how righteous we are is actually going to be darkness toward the world. That may be a conundrum for some of us. But secondly, if we take this seriously, compassion will grow and we'll realize we're not that different from our neighbor, from our brother. Thirdly, we'll grow wise. And something that will happen as we grow wise and we look to Jesus is there will be what my mentor, Zach Eswine, called more silences than sentences. More silences than sentences. That's a sign of wisdom. Proverbs 12, 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. We'll grow wise. And right words may come as we're silent, as we're quiet, as we wait for the Lord for the right words. Or maybe they won't. But in the meantime, we'll have a chance to actually love our brother. We may not have the right word, but we can make them a meal. We may not have the right word, but we can be there. 
If you would offer criticism of others, it must begin with self-criticism. So deal with the log. But Jesus also speaks of other and audience analysis and of the one to whom you would speak. And so verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Criticism of others should account for the person. I think of uh, a, a man, he's a, he's a dad, he's a husband, he works hard in the day, and he comes home, and you know what he looks forward to? There's just one thing that he wants. He just wants to sit in his lazy boy chair. He wants to turn on the TV and open up his bag of chips. And you, you, just, you just need to understand that this is where he feels safe. This is, this is where he recovers, you know? This is me time, guys. And so he's there. But while he's there, I mean, you know, he takes the first bite. He, he hears the opening of the bag, and it's just this bliss for him. And then, you know, he takes a bite. And then within a few bites, you know, he's got some crumbs on his face and his shirt and the couch, you know. And, you know, it's starting to look kind of like a sorry mess. And the wife cleans up after him. And the wife is getting things ready for dinner, taking care of the kids, running around, kind of stressed while he's eating the chips on the couch. You know, how can I tell him that this pattern isn't good every day? You know, your blood pressure's been on the rise. We've been talking with your doctor. This isn't actually good. This isn't self-care, you know. How do we talk to him? Now, that's kind of a silly example, maybe. But how do you talk to a person Say, say it's a wife to a husband who overpromises but underdelivers. Say it's a brother speaking to a brother who's prone to temper, even violence. Say it's a friend talking to a friend. You post things that are outrageous on social media, things that are untrue, things that make Jesus look bad. How do you tell a daughter? How does a daughter tell her father? Your, your sarcasm hurts your grandson, my child, when we're together. We need, we need to work on this when we come together. Those kinds of situations, right? How do you speak into it? Jesus says, first, you have to exercise some discernment about the person you're speaking to. The guy on the couch, when he opens his chips, when he's in that sort of MSG uh, bliss, he, he may not be ready to hear what he, what he needs to hear, so, right? Proverbs 26 verses 4 through 5 speaks about the sort of wisdom that we have to learn. And, and when you first read these verses, you may think that there's a contradiction, but there's no contradiction. We're being invited to know wisdom. Proverbs 26 4 says this. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you should become like him. Right? If you engage in a spat on social media with somebody who likes to engage in spats on social media... That's just foolish, right? It is a waste of time, and you will prove to be just as foolish as that person if you engage with them, right? Yeah? Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his conceit. Lest he think himself wise in his conceit. There's a time when the fool needs to hear it. Whether it's so that he can be shown to be a fool, as Jesus was answering the Pharisees in Matthew 23, or whether it's simply because you love this person and you so desperately want them 
to experience a better way in Jesus. But before you speak, you have to think, you have to account for the person, you have to use discernment. And so you might ask a simple question. Is this the kind of person who, if I offered them something sacred, something holy in, in Christianese, something that might help sanctify them, some, grow them closer to Jesus, if, if I was going to offer them something like this, is this the person who I know will turn back at me and make my life miserable, turn back and trample me, tear me, harm me? If they are, it doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to them necessarily, but you need to account for that reality. <laughs> if you must, like Jesus, on many occasions... Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. Learn wisdom for speaking to defensive people. A soft answer turns away wrath. There's a right way. We've already mentioned if the person's of a different worldview, you shouldn't anticipate that they would share your convictions, right? And even if a person has something about them that makes you nervous about speaking to them, or if they don't, maybe they're in grief. Maybe they're going through a hard time in life. It's, you have to account for all of these things. Paul, a disciple of Jesus, wrote this in Ephesians 4.29 and really captured a great deal of the wisdom of the Proverbs and of Jesus. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So there's a right thing to say, right? There's something holy you want to offer your brother. Not corrupting talk. Offer them something good, the right thing. And have a little bit of wherewithal to think about the right occasion. The right occasion. When's the right time? Think, pray, ask the Holy Spirit for that wisdom. And you need to have a right goal and a right motive. You want to give something that's good for building up. You want to give grace to those who hear. You have to have a right motive, a motive of love. This is your brother after all. This is your sister in Christ. This is someone you love. The wounds of a friend are faithful. Proverbs 27, 6 says, so you long that your Wounding, if you must wound, would be faithful. Not just to be right. Our motive is not just to be right. To get back. If we would offer wise criticism of others, it must begin by looking to Jesus, criticizing ourselves, and accounting for this person we're speaking to. But how on earth could we learn this kind of wisdom? This is... This is too high for us. This is difficult for us. I, I think of uh, recently listening to a podcast. There's an author who wrote a book that many of you read called A Gentle Answer. His name's Scott Sauls. He was being interviewed. And in the interview, uh, the interviewer asked him, how does a person learn to offer an answer in this culture of outrage? How do you learn to offer an answer that someone might actually hear? And what he did was he... He referred to Robert Murray McShane, a young pastor. He died very young in Scotland in the 19th century. But he had a, a quote that is very encouraging for Christians about sin in the gospel. He said, for every look, every one look you take at your sin, look 10 times at Christ. And Scott Saul said, and I would take that quote and say, for every one look you take at someone else's sin, 
Take 10 looks at Jesus Christ. Slow down and look to him before you utter a word. And think about Christ in his mouth. Think about his words. Would you trample him when he offered himself to you? When he spoke to you with something you needed, he was the one who was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 and 9. But what did he say when he did open his mouth on the cross, the one who was crushed for us? He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They're shepherdless sheep. Forgive them. Faith Church, look to Christ and let him draw you. Let him reorient your speech. He welcomes the naive who naively wants to help everyone the wrong time in the wrong way. He welcomes the religious person, the person who has used their words to harm others, to know grace. He welcomes the apostle Paul. He welcomes Nicodemus. He welcomes you. He even welcomes me. And so go to him and learn wisdom and shh. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and speak to us now. Whatever it is that, that we need to hear and reflect upon and apply to our hearts, help us to know that, to receive that. Lord, we confess that we want others to hear your word more than we want to hear it. And so today, speak, Lord. We welcome you. We thank you for the work of the cross so that we could be welcome to hear you. Your brothers and sisters before the Father, thank you, Lord. Do your work in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a, a, a minute right now, and it's going to be a quiet minute. Many of us struggle to know what to do in a quiet minute, in a crowded room. What do you do? Everyone's quiet. What do I do? Right? We're going to take a quiet minute, and we're going to reflect on what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. We heard the scriptures. You heard a reflection upon the scriptures. But what is he saying to you? Just take a moment and ask the Lord in the quiet what he would have you hear, what he would have you do.